0: Welcome to the Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEO Podcast. I'm Martin Harsberger, President of Measurable Results LLC and martinharsberger.com. I'm a retired CEO of both a manufacturing company and a third-party logistics company. We were lucky enough to grow both to eight-figure organizations. I've been consulting with small and mid-tier companies for the past 16 years. Our mission with this podcast is to provide a forum to help CEOs in these critical industries Share their stories, share best practices, and learn from each other. If you'd like to be a guest in our podcast, go to www.martinharsberger.comslash apply. Each interview will take about 30 minutes. Thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs podcast. I'm Martin Harsberger, your host. And today I'm with Joseph Scott, uh, CEO of MPO Tyrus. Welcome.
1: Hey Martin, thanks. It's good to be here.
0: Tell us a little bit about your company. Uh, I, I did look a little bit on the, the titanium angle, so tell us a little bit what that is.
1: Yeah, so uh, VSMPO is a uh, the, the world's largest titanium manufacturer. It's a Russian company um, that does, you know, pretty much all forms of titanium production. Uh, forging, extrusions, rolling, casting, melting, all of that uh, out of a really big facility uh, in Russia. It also produces its own sponge, so the raw material that feeds the titanium manufacturing process. And then it has a handful of subsidiary companies uh, that are uh, independently incorporated, uh, one of which is my business, Tiris U.S., um, we do uh, about a half billion dollars in sales every year, um, and we we really serve two functions. Um, we're sort of the the commercial arm for the U.S., so we have good relationships with Boeing and um, a lot of U.S. aerospace and industrial customers, uh, and we also. Uh, you know, distribute metal. So we, we buy metal from Russia. We store it at various locations throughout the U S uh, and, and we sell it to our U S customers. And we do a little bit of our own manufacturing as well. We make some, some wire and bar. Okay. So.
0: So how did you get started in titanium? What's your background? Uh,
1: kind, of, kind of by chance. So when I, I, I went to a undergrad at Brown and I studied English and economics. And when I first uh, left college, I'd, didn't know what I wanted to do, so I went and worked for my cousin, who owns a, a little tiny furniture business in North Carolina. I learned how to make furniture, uh, kind of helped him run his business, and that, that's what got me started in manufacturing. Uh, it was obviously on a very small scale, um, but I, I you know developed a real passion for the process of making things you know, with, with smaller or heavy equipment. Um, and and from there, I ended up moving to Pittsburgh uh, to work at Alcoa, the the big aluminum conglomerate, um, and and that kind of took me through the last ten or twelve years uh, at uh, working in various roles throughout that company. I ended up focusing uh, on the titanium side when Alcoa bought uh, what used to be RTI, uh, one of the the major players in the U.S. Titanium game. Uh, We bought that. I did a lot of the M&A work there uh, and spent some time working in that business before moving back into corporate, uh, leading the the M&A group for the company. Um, But by that time, I'd established, you know, a good experience set in Titanium and ended up moving into into this position uh, just last year, actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say you have a passion for manufacturing because that's that's the purpose of this podcast i mean i, I do as well yeah um, i ran a manufacturing and distribution company as well and it, 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 i think manufacturing gets a bad name anymore in the states we're not attracting the talent and uh, and uh, the, the uh, resources we need and yeah uh, one of the purposes of this podcast is give manufacturing a chance to showcase what they do and tell a little bit about their business. So I appreciate. Yeah. I,
1: I mean, I completely agree. I, I think that, um, you know, for me starting on the small scale and really like getting my hands on it was, was a big part of what drew me to the industry. Uh, you know, our furniture business, or I say our, but it, it was, it's my cousins. It's still going today. Um, you know, it's not big. We had a few employees at the time. I think now he's probably up to 20 or so, but, you know i i got to put my hands on a on a piece of you know high end custom furniture from the 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 point at which it was raw lumber all the way to a you know $5000 dining table going out the door and while it's very different than the kinds of things i do now uh it it's the same sort of essence of what manufacturing is about you know converting raw materials into something Extremely useful and valuable, um, and trying to to do it in a way that is efficient and smart um, and economical. Um, so you, for me, I fell in love with both sides of it: the process of building something itself, but also sort of how do you do it as intelligently as possible uh, with with as few resources as quickly and efficiently as you can. And it's still there's still the same problems uh, that we deal with today. Operating at an infinitely larger scale with infinitely larger equipment, um, so yeah, it's it's it is a shame that that the industry, you know, it's not as sexy as tech or uh, investment banking, but it's really cool, and I I feel lucky to have fallen into
0: it. Well, I think it's critical too to the U.S. I mean, we have to be able to make things, right? I mean, you can't you can't buy everything off the, off the I'm like, oh, sure I was going to say, try to keep it clean.
1: Yeah, so, no, you're right. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's important to keep some of that stuff here for sure.
0: And then my dad, I told you I grew up outside of Pittsburgh too. My dad worked uh, for years at Bethlehem Steel in Johnstown. Mm. <clears throat> and at one time there were 12,000 people working in that mill and now it's gone. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just gone.
1: It's yeah, gone. It's, it's changed a lot over the years for sure. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully there's a resurgence on its way.
0: Well, there's, there's a couple of small steel plants that with the with the new processes that are doing well. Uh, yeah. In Mississippi, it's going really well. Yeah. Where are you good. currently with your business, the impact of the last year with COVID and uh, the whole...
1: Yeah, sorry. I hear my dog barking in the background. sorry. Oh,
0: oh, it's actually
1: a timely question because one of the impacts is, you know, some of us have been working from home. I've actually mostly been in the office, but um, working from home today. Um, but for us, it's actually been really tough. I mean, it, it, the the aerospace industry, which is our largest segment by far, we about eighty percent of our sales uh, end up, you know, being fed by Boeing and Airbus, right? The two the two big boys in aerospace, and uh, you know, air traffic is taking a huge dive, and while it's recovering. Uh, because we're so far down the supply chain, and because there was so much extra inventory built up in the system, yeah. there's a long lag between when people start flying again and when our metal starts moving again at the rate that it that it was pre-pandemic. So, um, it's been it's been really difficult, no doubt about it. Um, we've had to you know reduce costs, and we've had to kind of rethink some things. Um, that said, there's been some good that's come out of it as well. You know it's forced us to kind of think about other avenues to grow that I think historically, because aerospace was so strong and the contracts uh, are so stable, um, it's I think it's easy for businesses like ours to kind of ride the wave and feel like you know yeah. you really don't have to do all that much to to keep the business looking really healthy because we have five-year contracts with Boeing and Airbus and, you know, we just keep making metal and it's, it's all good. So now we're thinking about, well, what other industries should we be trying to uh, penetrate a little further? Uh, For us, it's medical, industrial, you know, how do we bolster our presence in those segments and make sure that the next time there's a cycle in aerospace, which there always will be, um, we're, we're a little bit more prepared to bear that uh, than we were this time around. So it's, it, you know, not to say it's 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 been incredibly challenging for for our
0: business and others like it. But at the same time, there's some silver lining. I think you made a great point. I mean, I, I've been after I retired, I retired twice, to be honest with you. After I sold my logistics company. I ran a HVAC manufacturing company for five years and sold that and retired again. I, I just can't can't. Uh, I have to stay busy. Yeah. but I've been yeah. consulting for the last 16 years. with business is uh, 50 million up to 50, 60 million. That's my kind of my sweet spot. And the complacency you do when, when you've got contracts like you talk, I see that over and over. It's not that you, it's, it's I don't want to say get lazy, but you get complacent, right? I yeah. Mine's yeah. good and it's rolling in, and you know you're going to renew. And and I think this this whole COVID thing really woke people up. Not just yourself, but a lot of things.
1: Absolutely, yeah. There's there's no doubt about it. Um, You know, in 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 industries where it's been kind of on the rise steadily for the past couple decades, it's it's easy to uh, forget that there can be a downturn at any time. Um, So it's we've we've taken a lot of learning out of it, if you know, despite the struggle for sure.
0: I know, first quarter last year, I had clients that were limiting growth because they couldn't hire. And like that, bottom dropped out. There wasn't any revenue. So, I mean, I don't think anybody was prepared for that, but it did wake people up to say, holy cow, I should have been looking a little harder at what my revenue spread looks like and and what happens if, right?
1: That's kind of what I do when I help
0: folks is what happens if this happens, right? Right, Uh, sort of some scenario planning. What's your differentiator in your company? What, uh, what, What do you solve? What's your biggest problem you solve?
1: Um, for us, so it's we're we're in an interesting market. It's sort of like an oligopoly uh, in that there there are only a handful of titanium manufacturers who can provide big, large scale material and products for for aerospace. So we're one of you know five or six players that that can participate. And what makes us uh, differentiated is a couple of things. One is uh, we have a completely best in class suite of assets uh, that, um, you know, enables us to basically solve any problem, you know, whether it's, and provide any any uh, any product and extrusion of forging uh, sheet, uh, et cetera. Um, but beyond that, it's, for us, it's probably, if you were to ask our customers, they would probably say cost. Um, we we have a super aggressive uh, and advantaged cost structure, uh, mostly because we produce our own sponge, uh, which I mentioned earlier, which means that we have a fully integrated uh, oh, yeah. value chain. Yeah, so we we go all the way from you know the the raw material producing sponge to finished parts that you pop on an airplane, um, and there are currently. Uh, I don't believe there's anyone else in the entire world that has that full value chain. So most guys who are doing the forging or the rolling are buying sponge. um, And then the people who make sponge are selling it to titanium manufacturers. So that's a big part of it. But at the same time, there's also some of the softer stuff. We have an excellent uh, history of taking care of our customers and, um, you know, performing well on on time delivery those kinds of things but typically at the end of the day it's probably the cost
0: uh, it usually is that's why i ask the question uh usually with the with, uh, clients i deal with i ask well how do you differentiate and it comes down to cost you know they don't have a strong value proposition they don't have a, a clear differentiator and they're not in the position you're in where you're vertically integrated and you control your your supply chain so right one of the things I try to bring out is if you don't have a clear differentiator and you're trying to compete on cost and not the low cost provider, you don't have a business long-term. Right. So yeah, it's yeah. a great point. Which yeah, me.
1: that's exactly right. Um, and then, you know, we because we have such a, a massive facility uh, in, in Russia that sources a lot of our material, um, you know, we have a lot of capacity and we do a really good job planning and, you know, putting material at various places in the world. And in our business, we have a facility on the West coast and facility on the East coast. Uh, So we're really good with on-time delivery, like short lead times, uh, when customers need something quickly, uh, we tend to be pretty smart about the way we stock material uh, to give our customers some flexibility if if they need something on short order and uh, just making sure that we put the customer first, always, 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 especially in an industry where there are only a couple major OEMs uh, and they have a lot of power and those relationships are everything. And we do everything we can to, to kind of protect and nurture those.
0: Okay. Talking about supply chain too, and you mentioned Russia a couple Uh, of times. Is there any, any uh, risk to you having that manufacturing in Russia with the, political climate as it is, <laughs> I mean. You know, t-
1: yeah, that, that's the natural question. And, and so far, um, the answer is no uh, for a couple of reasons. One is we don't play in the defense market, right? So we don't yeah. sell anything in the U.S. defense industry. Um, and the other reason is that we have advocates for us like Boeing that you know really rely on us as a, as a supplier uh, and they'll, they'll do what they can to make sure that those, those sanctions or, or whatever, um, you know, sort of, uh, obstacles, uh, don't get in the way. Um, and it, so we've been fairly, uh, safe historically. And I, I don't think that we see any signs of that changing. Um, but yeah, we, we talk about it a lot. You know, we keep our finger on the pulse and make sure that there's nothing coming down the pike that would, that would mess it up, uh, for the supply chain that we have set up.
0: Yeah, well, as alternatives, Western Europe and stuff. I guess you could you could supply it from there, but would it cost? I'm, yeah. I'm just curious about the thing.
1: No, it's a good question. We it's it's all it's a hot button topic for us all the time, and, and so far it's it's safe, but yeah, you know, we think about it a lot.
0: Where do you think your industry's going? Well, we talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh, what are your biggest threats and opportunities? But, I mean, we've talked about the air air travel coming back. I guess. You've probably seen the trough of your of your business uh at the last year and a half. So maybe you see it coming back out or what? Yeah,
1: I mean in the short term, um, you know, thinking about the pandemic, I, I think that we'll probably be back producing at pre-pandemic rates, you know, maybe late twenty-two, early twenty-three. Um, things are already starting to turn around a little bit um, for us. And as you go farther up the Uh, or or down the value chain uh, closer to, you know, people on planes. Uh, It's turned around quite a bit already. Um, So in the short term, you know, it's probably a 12 to 18 month ramp up
0: uh,
1: before we're kind of back at at pre-pandemic levels. That said, there's you know some some risk that that business travel may take a long time to recover or never recover people are kind of changing the way they do business in terms of you know doing more virtual stuff not flying out to see clients every week the way that we did historically now that we've learned how to use these new tools zoom etc uh, it might change the the nature of the industry but i think beyond that longer term one of the things that's really working in our favor is uh, being a titanium supplier is that a lot of the next generation aircraft are going to go, uh, composites. So, you know, there's continued pressure to reduce full fuel consumption, uh, <laughs> et cetera. And as airplanes start to be built more with composites than with, uh, aluminum or, you know, other materials, uh, that means there's going to be more titanium on these aircrafts as well. Titanium is highly compatible with, with composite, uh, fiber materials. So, uh, you know that that's the that's the long term trend, right? Is continue yeah. further lightweighting, weighting, uh, further fuel efficiency, which means lighter materials, which means more titanium. So, long term, the future is very bright, without a doubt.
0: Good, that's great. Yeah. One last question, I ask everybody: If you were if you go back in time when you started, when you first came out of Brown, all the things you've learned the last. I don't know how
1: many, years, how many yeah, years. A dozen or so, 15, something like that. Yeah.
0: What are the three things you tell yourself to do differently?
1: Oh, three things to do
0: differently.
1: <laughs> um, wow, that's a great question. I So one of them that comes to mind is to, I would say, take a few more risks, you know, in terms of my own career, um, being willing to, Um. Early in my career, just you know, think critically about what I'm learning and, uh, and and develop some of my own opinions and share them with people. I think I was really tentative early in my career, feeling like there was some magic recipe to knowing what you're doing that I didn't have yet. Uh, and, and in reality, a lot of business is just intuition and good, sound reasoning and that's uh, i think i had that you know earlier in my career but but didn't really know that that was the that was the secret sauce right there's there's not a magic bullet yeah for sure um that that's one of them i think um another one is and and somebody told me this back in the day uh he used to this guy i used to work for was a former mckinsey partner and he said that every time he took a business trip to see a client on the way home he would write down everything he learned uh, in his notebook on the airplane and then beginning of the next week he'd go back and look and just being really proactive about what you're learning right i think it's easy sometimes to kind of get lost in the shuffle of the week or the day um, and 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 forget to kind of take a step back and think about well, what am i actually learning here what are sort of like you know what's the what's the 50,000 foot view um i, I probably could have, You know, picked up on some things a little quicker earlier in my career, Um, and I think the last thing is is honestly uh, related to work life balance. I think there's in our country and there's a huge emphasis placed on the number of hours you put in in the day, Um, and I think I'm I'm guilty as are many of of the people I work with now and have worked with in the past of thinking that that quantity equals quality. Um, now I'm really cognizant about maintaining my energy levels and making sure I feel engaged and uh, excited to go into work every day. And if I feel like I'm dragging at some point, you know, I'll go go for a jog or I'll take some time away from the desk, uh, go for a walk or, you know, play a game of chess or online or whatever it is just to do some do some things to really proactively manage my energy level. I think is That's a
0: great point. It's a, a long time in my career to learn that. Yeah. I had a subsidiary when I had my logistics company. I bought a, a company in Frankfurt, Germany, handled Western Europe out of there, and the, the work-life balance in Europe and work-life balance in, in the states are totally mm-hmm. different. I right? really Absolutely. learned watching that. I mean, they get the same amount done. They it's do. Just,
1: they do. I mean, some of the best manufacturing companies in the world are in in the, in in Europe, and we'll we'll sit here and grind at our desk for. 10 or 12 hours a day and it doesn't necessarily mean we're getting anything more done. It just means we're we're doing more, doing more of it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Listen, How can people reach you if they want to to reach out and ask about your company? Yeah,
1: I'd be happy to, uh, to talk to folks. Um, The best way is probably uh, my email um, which I'm happy to provide. It's J Scott, J S C O T T at vsmpo-tirus.com. Um always happy to talk about company, the industry and hear stories, you know, of like-minded folks.
0: Thanks for listening to Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. If you're a successful CEO in manufacturing or supply chain, would like to be part of the program, please visit www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. If you got some value out of the interview, please share it on social media. We'd really appreciate it. Also, if you know someone that would make a great guest, tag them and let them know about the show. Again, our mission is to focus on manufacturing and supply chain CEOs. We'd like to share your story and provide industry trends and updates that would interest our listeners. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and interviews go a long way in promoting the show. You can connect with me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn at uh, Martin Harsberger. uh, Or through my website, www.martinharsberger.com. Again, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening.